pray with me? Oh God, my God, I need you now. We need you. We need you to, to help us to understand who you are, to help us to understand the truth of your word, to help us to understand who we are to you. God, we need your help. We need the help of your spirit. Would you illuminate the truth of your word? God, will you speak through me? Will you prepare those who hear to receive? God, we, we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I, I want to start by letting you know exactly the, the section of scripture that we're reading. We read 3 through 14 because it's, it's all one verse in the original Greek. It was one, one thought that Paul had. It's, it's worship. It's an anthem. It's, it's, it's a single statement beginning with, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He sets the tone. Everything that he's about to describe in 3 through 14, one single sentence is, is about blessing God. It's about worship. So look at verse uh, 5. This is where we're zooming in here. It says, He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. And I'll actually add 6 because I feel like it, it completes the thought. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. We're looking at predestined us for adoption. That statement, that's where we're zooming in today. Okay, last week, uh, Pastor Matt talked about he chose us. He chose us. This week, predestined for adoption. This section of scripture is so theologically rich, it's worthy of our focus and our attention to consider every single word. And that's, that's what we're doing. But there's a problem here, is that it's that word adoption. I feel like in American culture, we've, we've reduced the value. Much, like very differently than what Paul had considered here. He could have said, predestined to be children, but he said predestined for adoption. Adoption. My intent today is to, is to show you how it's actually better that he says adoption here. That adoption is actually the better option of than being made into his children. That Paul is trying to see, show us something here that's going to help us ultimately with where he's going. Okay, the problem, uh, you know, I, this, uh, I hear like on the playgrounds, they'll, they'll tease like, oh, he's, you know, you're adopted. You know, they'll tease with that as though it's something lesser than. My, my kids will take my youngest, Oliver, uh, and they'll pull him aside and they'll convince him that he's adopted and he'll, he'll come to me and he's like, Dad, am I adopted? I'm like, buddy, no, you're not adopted. But like, it's meant to, it's, I, maybe on the next time I ask him, I should say, no, maybe not yet, but you can be. Do you want to know what it means to be adopted? 
because it's better. It's so much better. It's so much greater. You see, understanding who we are in Christ is, it, it, it determines our actions. It determines our focus. It determines uh, what, we're, what we're focused on. We, we care so much about what other people think about us. Uh, we try to make a name for ourselves. We, we fight, we, we work, we earn, we protect. We're so worried about what might happen to our children. And so we, we, we try to protect them as though we're the only one who could. All of these, our struggle with sin, going into the, the comforts of the things we do when no one's watching, all of those are connected to a misunderstanding of who we are in Christ. To get an understanding of where Paul intends you to be thinking, you have to look at the whole of the letter. The structure of the letter is quite symmetrical. The first three chapters are all about who God is, and the last three chapters are all about now what should we do. And I'll show you that. If you look at Ephesians 4, the very first verse, it, it, it ends, like I said, symmetrically. At the end of chapter 3, he even says, amen, as if to complete a thought. And he begins now in ver chapter 4. This is the, the doing part of Ephesians. In verse 1, it says, I therefore, therefore, what's that therefore? Every bit of the argument that he made in, in 1 through 3, Okay. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. See, this is a book written to Christians who are not dead yet, obviously, much like the people in this room, which means that they have a portion of their life that they still need to live that is not yet in glory with the Father and the Son in heaven. We're here right now. And so Paul's intention in this letter is to give them a tool, a right way of thinking, a right way of understanding to carry out this call to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. So he does have in mind ultimately some doing for you, some action for you, some things that he's asking you to do, a way you're looking, you're supposed to be living. He talks about husbands, how they respond to their wives and fathers, to their children. He talks about the church and how we relate to each other in the way that we love each other. He does ultimately get to some instruction for living, but he says, there's, there's no point in even talking about that unless you first understand some things. You have to know some things to be true. It has to come from your knowing of who God is, your identity in him, that we could even ever have a conversation of now what do you do? You see, believe comes before, be, be, uh, believe comes before become. Before we ever become anything, before we ever start to make any change in our life, it has to come first from what we believe, what we know. Well, what does Paul want you to know? 
He finishes his thought in chapter 3, and I tell you this only as a means to connect back to the verse that we have in focus about predestined to adoption. We got to have the right lens and understanding. Paul, why are you telling us these things? Why is this something that I need to know? If I'm to walk in a, in a, in a way worthy of the calling, if I'm supposed to do these things you talk about in the last half of, half of Ephesians, what is it that I need to know in order to carry that out? And Paul kind of wraps up his, his, his kind of theological argument about who we are in Christ and, and what we need to believe about who God is, all of it for God's glory. It is for God's glory that he would, that he would, uh, that uh, it is for God's glory that, that anything is, that we are made, that that we're alive, that we would walk in this manner, that, that, that anything that is done, the chief end of man is to glorify God. But it, it, Paul says here in Ephesians 3, and it's going to be on the screen, and the way that Paul writes, it's kind of like compound sentences that are connected to each other, and so you kind of have to take the, the subject of the beginning and the action at the end and put it together, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to do that here. We're going to read verses 14 through 19, and, 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 and what I want you to see this as, because this is what it is, is it's a summary statement. It's the central idea. He boils down everything in the first three chapters is to say this. This is the thing you need to know. Everything I've told you about in these first three chapters is so that you could know this one thing. And here's what we need to know, the one thing. It says, it's starting in verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that... You, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend. That's where he's trying to get us to. All of those connected, getting that the Spirit would work in our hearts through faith to have strength to comprehend. To comprehend what? With the saints, what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. And to know the love of of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Shortly after that, he closes and says, amen. Okay? So what is it that he needs us to know? The one thing that he's boiled it down to is that we would somehow know the love of Christ and know in the biblical sense, as in to have intimate experiential knowledge of the love of Christ. Here's what you have to know. Before you can ever do anything to clean up your life, you have to know the love of Christ. So then everything that we look at, if we turn back to chapter one, or chapter one of Ephesians uh, in verse five, when he says, predestined us for adoption, he's saying these words so that you would know the love of Christ. So in some way, this enhances or 
enlarges our understanding of the love of Christ, that those terms specifically predestined for adoption is going to help us see a bigger view of God's love. What's he after? What is Paul after? What is his aim? Your attention. Do you remember past... Uh, Pastor Matt talked about the Sistine Chapel. We walk in and we're looking at the tiles. We're, we're admiring the tiles. When the glory to be held is above you, it's, it's the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel that you should have your eyes on. And so Paul is trying to open our eyes that we would, we would look up to see how blessed God is and what he wants you to know is his love. This is what will change you. This is what will fuel your growing and your changing. He wants you to know his love. But he uses the word adoption here. He could have said children. Other people did. Uh, you know, John said children. In fact, every other writer in the New Testament just said children. Paul is the one who chose to use adoption. He did it in Romans and Galatians. So he's considering who he's writing to, and who Paul is, we get a little bit of information on why he uses the term uh, adoption and not merely just uh, children. If, if the whole point is that we would have a bigger view of God's love, then he wouldn't use a lesser word, adoption. Adoption has to be a, a greater. Adoption has to be a greater than, than a lesser if we're going to increase, if this statement is meant to increase our love for grace, or our knowledge of God's love for us, which is what it says in chapter 3. So, Paul, having dual citizenship, Roman uh, citizenship, and, uh, and, and uh, Jewish citizenship, citizenship in Israel, uh, he... Uh, would, would certainly have had in mind, as he's writing to uh, regions throughout the Roman Empire, a, a Roman rule of law, jurisprudence. There were, there were laws about uh, possession and, and, uh, and, and rights, and uh, I mean, Paul, Paul even draws on this as, as he's facing kind of an execution. Uh, he, he, he appeals to their judicial system, so it's something that they hold on to. It's not something that they look away from, and so it's, it, it, it is a, it's a term that was maybe uniquely Roman because its impact or effect was, was uniquely Roman in its... Uh, in, its, in its meaning and understanding, okay? So Paul writing to these regions, being from this area, he's, he's certainly connecting it to the, the legal status, the, the legal standing. You know, what, what happens when a, a, a child is adopted in this, in this area? It, it compare and contrast with, um, you know, if the idea is a generosity towards an orphaned child, okay? This child is on the streets, perhaps, in that day, and, and he wants to care for that child. In every way, he can care for that child. He gives the child uh, a place to stay, food to eat, uh, ultimately maybe like a job or something like that. But without adoption, there's no rights of that child. Nothing, nothing of, of this man who's helping this child out uh, is... is uh, you know, there's, there's nothing legally binding. There's no, there's no rights within that. 
But if that same man, in desiring to uh, help this young child, adopts this child, now the child has his name, has rights to the inheritance, has all the rights of every other one of his children, has every rights of the son, and has every right, the father has every right of the father for his son. It's, it's, a, it's a permanent standing. We talked about this in Galatians, that it's uh, in, our, in our study through the book of Galatians, uh, that, that adoption legally had actually a, a, a greater security of that relationship uh, in that there were provisions for a father to write out his own son out of, uh, out of the will, but there's, there's nothing in there to remove an adopted child. An adopted child is, is, has legal standing in perpetuity forever. They, it was more secure to have gone through a legal process of adoption than it was uh, for it to be the child, the, the very child. So the, on some level, he's, he's, he's talking about this legal aspect. But if we want to go further into that, we would have to ask the question, adopted from what? Right? Adopted, and, and it, it is, I mean, even in the Greek, it's, it's, it's adopted in the way that we're talking about. It's, it's like to, to take on and legally call your child. Okay? So there's, there's, not, there's not some other meaning in the Greek here. It's literally adoption. So that has a requirement that we were a part of a different family, and now we're a part of a new family. Okay? So, so if, he's, if he's trying to explain to us that, that what's been happened to us, that one of the many metaphors that he's, he's used for people who are, who are saved, who have put their faith in Jesus, who have, uh, who have a regenerated heart. Their heart has gone from a heart of flesh to a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. They're believing and loving and following Jesus. If you've put your faith in Jesus, one of the metaphors that Paul uses is adoption, that you've been adopted. Adopted from what, though? Or adopted from whom? What family were you a part of before you were adopted into Christ? Well, the Bible says that we were in Adam. Every single one of us were in Adam. Sharing in the inheritance of Adam. Sharing in the destiny of Adam. And, and, and some of you might say, like, well, wait, wouldn't that be something we want to connect to? As though... Eden was perfection, and what we're working towards, uh, it, or what we're hoping in, is a return to Eden. I actually kind of thought that for, for a while, but I was kind of helped to see and understand that what God has for us is Eden 2.0 that happened at the moment Jesus walked out of that grave. His kingdom came, and we are, we, our aim is, is a new heaven and a new earth, and it's better than Eden. So the next point that I, I believe Paul is making is that adoption out of Adam and into Christ is an upgrade. We can see that easily in the, in the sin category, okay? Because it, it, uh, I'll, I'll just read, uh, it's 1 Corinthians 15. I don't know that it's on your slide here. It says, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. See, one of the things we inherit from Adam is our, is, is our sin, is a sin nature, a desire to sin, a propensity to sin. We, we are born with a desire to sin, and we all sin. And that, that penalty, the penalty of sin, is the same as Adam's penalty was. 
His destiny was our destiny, and it's death. But in Christ, we have life. That's our inheritance. So that's obviously an upgrade over being in Adam and in Christ. But also consider that Adam was never talked about. And I'm not saying that Adam isn't going to be in heaven or anything like that. Like, there's a lot of discussion about what happened before Jesus and all of those things. But, but consider what we have now as an upgrade to where he was because Adam, it was never talked about as being partakers in the, uh, uh, partakers in the divine glory of God, I think it says in Thessalonians. It, it never talks about him being like Jesus one day, where the Bible tells us that when we see Jesus, we will become, uh, we'll become who we are, we'll become like him. Once we see him, we will look like him. And so we have a future glorified body, a hope that we have in Christ. This is another one of the upgrades that we have in adoption out of Adam and into Christ. We've been adopted out of Adam and into Christ. This is an upgrade. It says that in... Uh, in the kingdom of heaven, we will, we will be like rulers, uh, co-heirs with Christ, that we will rule angels, that we will rule uh, over the earth. This is our future. Our adoption is not merely into Israel or into God's family. It's into Christ. Our adoption is into Christ. And so when God looks at us, it's, it's kind of an irreducible central core of who we are. Having a, a right understanding of, of, of who you are is what helps us in our day-to-day. In our uh, silly, silly story. Uh, when you're, pre when, okay, when I'm preaching, and I know I'm preaching, I've got a date coming up, I'm, I'm paying close attention to my life. Is this a sermon illustration? Is this a sermon illustration? Could I use this story in the next sermon? And, and, a, and a thought came to my mind. I'm like, oh, yeah, use this, use this, which is, it's silly, okay? It's, it doesn't, it, it is what it is. But uh, the story goes like this. Uh, on Friday, we woke up, and we're like, oh, my gosh, the sun is, is out for a second. There's no rain until 3. Uh, and so we, we got in the car, we drove to the park, we got on a bike, and we were going to do a long bike ride, my wife and I. And uh, on our way home from the park, we thought, you know, hey, we don't really have time any other time. We got to go to Costco now, okay, on the way home. The problem is, it was a long bike ride, so I'm wearing the bike shorts, the spandex, right? Uh, don't picture it, okay? Uh, you know, the, the padded seat or whatever, because when you're sitting for a long time, and then the whole, the whole, the whole get up. As you, you've probably seen the bikers on the road. That's, that's what I'm wearing. So as we're getting close to Costco, I say, so are you going to go in, or am I going to go in? Because we're both wearing the, the get up, right? She's like, well, I, I think if we both went in, it would be less weird. I'm like, <laughs> all right, I guess. Uh, but at, as I'm walking in, I'm, I'm, I'm reminded, like, I don't think I've ever been to Costco and not seen somebody I know. 
I see somebody I know every time I'm at Costco. Sometimes I'll even like head down with like headphones on because I'm like, I really just want to shop. I don't want to talk to people. I don't want to say hi to people. And now especially, I'm re- I know that sounds awful. I like people. I want to talk to people. But, uh, but in this moment, I don't, I don't want anybody to see me in my, in my spandex. Uh, stop picturing it. It's not edifying for you guys right now. Uh, so I'm walk, I, I walk through Costco, and the thought literally came to my mind. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. And I know that that's like a, a silly way, but it's like, yes, embarrassment, okay. Maybe conversations, maybe somebody sees, maybe somebody takes a picture, maybe somebody posts it. Uh, but like what matters, right? Like I, I'm a child of God, and I'm just kind of focusing on like this idea, he, he chose me, he adopted me, like selected me, like almost like from a, from a pamphlet, like that one, I want that one. And he chose me, he predestined me for adoption. What about, what about the, the timeline issue, okay? So if, as Matt, preached on last week, chosen before the foundations of the world, as in, uh, you know, we, we, I had somebody come up to me after the first service, like, man, I'm really wrestling with this stuff because the Bible says chosen, it says predestined, like, how could we think differently because it, it, it is what it says, like, I'm wrestling with what the Bible says, he says, thank you for just reading what scripture says and, and, and not avoiding it. So, if I'm chosen before the foundation of the world and I'm predestined for adoption, doesn't adoption feel kind of like an afterthought? Like a solution? Or like a, like a, like, ah, what are we gonna do? Oh, we could adopt them, right? Like it's, it, it's not the plan. It feels like not the plan. I was kind of getting tripped up on this and I, I mentioned it was, partly because of my, my misunderstanding of what I'm adopted into and adopted, adopted out of. And, and really then it starts to make sense because I was chosen to be rescued from Adam and into Christ, right? That, that makes a ton of sense. God's outside of time, but maybe a helpful illustration is to think about, um, if you know Adam and Mandy Breitenstein. They, um, you know, she had, she had posted like on her Instagram and things like that, uh, that she desired to, uh, to adopt. And we knew, all of us who knew her, knew exactly who she planned to adopt. She had Ember. She, like, her name, we, we knew her name, we even saw pictures of her, uh, and, and all these things. Like, she was raising money, and we knew, and, and, and we were able to kind of donate towards that, and not we as a church, but like friends and things like that, um, are, are, are like praying for and hoping for this adoption, okay? And, 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 and it was hard. There was like, it was like COVID and it was like uh, international law and all of these things, all of these like legal issues and challenges that just made it impossible. So I don't, I think it was maybe a year uh, of like hearing all about Ember, uh, but, but her not being, she was in Armenia, I think, was the country. But at, at, at just the right moment, when everything was, was ready and complete, they left comfort at a great cost, went into Armenia, walked right into that adoption, 
scooped Ember up and says, come on, we're going home. You see, they had chosen her. She had no idea who they were. They had chosen her and planned to adopt her. But some things needed to happen in order for that to happen, and the same is true for us. God has chosen us, specifically says, I want you. And I'm working towards adoption. But at the fullness of time, Christ comes, leaves the comfort of heaven, endures pain and suffering, lives a perfect life, dies on the cross, rises again, conquering sin and death, and so we have been adopted in Christ. That, that statement, though, in Christ, seems to be really important to Paul. It appears throughout Ephesians. I've made a list of these in Christ statements. Look, take a look at this. In, in 1.3, it says blessed in Christ. In 1.4, it says chosen in Christ. In 1.7, it says redeemed in Christ. In 1.10, it says united in Christ. 1.11, heirs in Christ. 2.10, created in Christ. 2.22, constructed in Christ. 3.11, purposed in Christ. 4.15, matured into Christ. 4.21, taught in Christ. That in is, is an important distinction as, as differentiated from by or through. It's in. We have been united to Christ. It is an adoption into Christ. Dean, Dean uh, Ortland, uh, in, his, in his book Deeper, talks about this idea. It's kind of a, a, an analogy of, a, of an onion that, that represents the self, okay? The, the outer layer of yourself is the clothes you wear, the shoes, or your style, or, or like where you hang out, right? You strip that layer down, and it's like uh, maybe what you do, like you, you, know, you serve at church, and you, uh, you know, work at this company, or whatever like that, and you pull that layer back. We're trying to get to the core or center of yourself, but you pull that layer back, and what you have is your relationships. You're a husband, you're a mom, you're a, uh, you know, a, a brother, whatever, right? That's, that's kind of, yeah, but there's a deeper part of you that's your core, and it's, it's like your beliefs and what you believe is going to happen in the world and what's good and what's right and what motivates your heart towards uh, action. And you get below that, unfortunately, what we have is like these, these um, like shameful and secret and like the things that if anybody knew about me, you wouldn't like me, you wouldn't love me, you wouldn't be listening to anything that I was saying right now. Don't, I, I hope you don't ever find out about about those things, but even beneath that, the, what he calls the irreducible center of who we are, we pull those back. It's as though, like the atom, you know, like you know, can't can't be split. I mean, I guess we've split it or whatever. But like the irreducible element of who we are is in Christ. We're in Christ, and it cannot be separated. It's forever secure. We're in Christ. And then each one of these statements in the coming weeks, it's going to, be, it's going to talk about like what we are in Christ. So we've got to understand we're in Christ. And the best way that Paul has for us to understand that is, is this adoption. You're no longer in Adam. You're in Christ. And in heaven, and, and even until then, God sees you 
as Christ. There's not a separation or a difference. We, we've been united. We're in him. Romans 8. Uh, I, think, I think we might have this one on the screen. Maybe not. Uh, Romans 8, 14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the most intimate of of sayings. This this wouldn't be said about Father Abraham. This is your daddy. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So what does that mean? It's a really big deal to Paul that you understand this, that you're in Christ, and this means that you're a child of God, that you're secure in that relationship. You've got to get this part. Otherwise, you can't do any of the doing unless you understand who you are. You're in Christ. You've been adopted into Christ. But how does that happen? Well, we doubt. And what's our solution for, for, for doubt? It's faith. Where does faith come from? By hearing, hearing the word of God, scripture helps us, reminds us who we are. When we read a truth and believe it, it's true because God's word says it. But we also have the spirit of God. It says the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That means the spirit is actively inside of us, reminding us, bearing witness about you're a child. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're united with Christ. You're in Christ. There's no separating. There's no difference between you and Jesus. We don't become gods, but we become, we are united to him. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that this is the highest expression of God's love. And he says that with full awareness that that we look to the cross as this expression of love. But again, the cross means for those who believe we're in, like that child who was cared for, welcomed into the home, but he went further than that. He didn't just let us in. He adopted us as sons as daughters, we're not just let in, we're given everything. We spend eternity with him as co-heirs with Christ. That's so much more than being let in. What is Paul's aim here in Ephesians? Worship. We love what we worship. We worship what we love. He needs you to know the love of Jesus. And his goal is blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's given us everything, and we have it right now. It's not something we're going to get. It's something we have right now. And for what purpose? That we would walk in a manner worthy of our calling. 
He's got something for us. The end of Ephesians talks about doing battle, wearing the armor of God, doing battle because we still have some living to do, some fighting to do, and here's what we need to know. The love of Christ. We have to know the love of Christ. So as we, as we go through these next three chapters, maybe it takes us a year and a half. I don't know. But each one of these words that helps us to know more the love of Christ is aimed at our intention is outward church. You need to know something. We chose Ephesians to go through. God led us to choose Ephesians because we look out sometimes and we see people who are relatively unaffected by this truth. Not worshiping. If you're not worshiping at the idea that God has adopted you into Christ as a son, what does that mean? Why would you not glory in that? Is it merely that, that you are in fact saved, but your eyes are on the tiles of the Sistine Chapel, and you merely just need to raise your eyes to see the glory of God and his love for you? that you would be moved to worship and gratitude, that you would no longer have that survivor's guilt of like, man, I knew tons of other orphans. Like, me, I'm the one? God, you want me? Like, I, I think you made a mistake. I'm, I'm going somewhere else. To really believe, to fully accept and see the glory of God and his love for me, the love of Christ will move you to worship. The only right response is worship. And so our goal in the, book of, in the book of Ephesians is that you would worship. Not only here on Sunday, that you would passionately uh, and, and connect to the, the, the songs that we're singing. We're thinking about the theology of the music that we're singing. We're, we're connecting these truths that are from Scripture about God that we sing to God as, as, a, as, a, as a point of praise and glory, this opportunity we have when we're together to do that, not only so you do it on Sunday, but you'd wake up each morning and you'd recognize who you are in Christ and what that means, the incredible blessing that you've received, that you'd live a life of gratitude, that your personal worship would exceed the worship that happens here together on Sunday. We want to see both of those things happen in you. I'll close with a consideration to those that may not yet be attracted to adoption, not because their focus is off, but maybe there's some things that would trip you up, would hold you up. Uh, maybe you were in a rough family. Maybe you were adopted, and, and that hasn't been so great for you. And it hasn't really been the solution because you, you still wonder about who you are and where you came from. And maybe, maybe the idea of family is painful for you and you finally got to a place where you've escaped where, uh, where you grew up and you're now self-sustained and, and independent and the idea of entering into a family again, that sounds painful. 
what we have is an offer to taste and see that the Lord is good, to see that he's better than any father, that the relationship is more secure, that you're more loved, more desired, more wanted. But maybe you're here and your apprehension is because this just doesn't seem beautiful. It just seems maybe foolish. And the truth is, in 2 Corinthians, it says the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. So maybe you're among the perishing that you don't find this beautiful. You don't want it. It's, you're indifferent to it. Maybe you're not saved. But if there's any part of you that wants it, let me tell you, you're chosen. John 6 says, no one comes to the Father unless the Father draws him. So if this is beautiful to you, and not my description of it, but the, but the truth that's in God's word, if it's beautiful that the creator of this world would call you specifically and adopt you as his own son into Christ, and you want that, you can have it. Believe and live. That's, that's all it is, is believe. It's, if you want it, it's being offered to you. You can't want it unless he's drawing you. Do you want to be adopted? Is it beautiful that you are adopted? Then let's worship. Let me pray for us. God, we need your spirit to bear witness that we are your children. We want to believe it in a bigger way than we've ever believed it. We want to see it as more significant than, than we've ever seen it. That how absurd it would be that before the foundation of the world that you would choose me, that you would predestine me for adoption into Christ. God, help us to fully accept it, to fully believe it. God, we're asking that your spirit would bear witness, that, that your spirit would remind us, convince us that we are your children and that we are brought to a place that we have no choice but to worship, no choice but to glory in who you are. We pray these things in your name. Amen. You're going to see uh, ushers at the front.